Hello, this is your weekly podcast, The Africa Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. This is the Financing Change in Africa series, a conversation made possible by a collaboration between the African Development Bank, the Climate Investment Funds, and the Africa Climate Conversations. In Africa, forest accounts for 23% of its planned area. Africa is also home to the largest proportion of forest-dependent subsistence households globally, with more than half of the continent population relying directly or indirectly on the forest for livelihoods. Ines Angulo, the Forest Investment Program Coordinator at the Climate Investment Funds, says Africa is the continent with the highest annual rate net forest loss at 3.9 million hectares in the last decade. The forest loss has been increasing steadily since 1990. How is the Forest Investment Program working with African countries to manage forest loss and provide sustainable livelihood to communities dependent on them? Here is Ines. The main purpose of the FIP is to support developing countries' uh, Red Plus efforts by providing financing for readiness reforms and investments to help the countries to adapt to the impacts of climate change on forests and to also contribute to multiple benefits such as biodiversity conservation, rural livelihoods and enhancements, for example. The FIP has an active portfolio in 13 countries around the world and it has uh, an indicative funding allocation of $612 million for a total of 50 projects and 88 of that funding is already under implementation. And out of this project, how many of these projects are in Africa? So if we analyze the FIP portfolio by region, we can see that the main beneficiary has been Africa with 44% of the funding, uh, approximately $270 million. And in terms of impact, the FIP portfolio in Africa will result in a reduction of 33.8 million tons of CO2 equivalent from nearly 2.5 million hectares of, of forests. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the main characteristics of the FIP and the CIF in general, the CIF, is its reliance in, in country ownership. It is through this highly participatory process which involves the government, the private sector, indigenous peoples, local communities, academia, civil society, that each participating pilot country develops an investment plan where it, uh, it defines how they're going to use their allocated funding. And based on that, about 40% of the FIT portfolio uh, focuses on landscape approaches. And that means that we are funding activities that tackle the main drivers of deforestation, such as agriculture, for example. Mm -hmm. And other areas that we fund are sustainable forest management, capacity mm -hmm. building and institutional strengthening, and also improving the livelihoods of, of indigenous people and, and local communities. In Africa, forest cover accounts for 23% of its land area, and Africa at the same time is home to the largest proportion of forest-dependent subsistence households in the world, with more than half of the continent's population relying directly or indirectly in forests for livelihoods. Africa as well is the continent with the highest annual rate of, of uh, net forest loss during the past decade with a total of 3.9 million hectares and this is due mainly to over-reliance on wood fuel, to agriculture expansion, urban growth, 
infrastructure development and mining, for example. And the continent's rate of loss has been increasing steadily since 1990. So therefore, the challenge for Africa and forest sector is how to, to reduce the fast rate of forest depletion and at the same time, how to manage forests and woodlands to provide sustainable livelihoods to the growing population that, that depends on, on them. And since this podcast is about climate change, in terms of, of this, deforestation and forest degradation account for roughly 30% of Africa's greenhouse gas emissions. So forests must uh, clearly play an important role in the region's efforts to limit climate change. Mm. And countries have already acknowledged this. Um, I read an analysis of the nationally determined contributions or NDCs from African countries, and they show that uh, most of the, of the countries included land use land use change in forestry as a priority sector for mitigation. Uh, so there's a lot of work to be done. And Amar, in terms of, of forest protection, you find that there's a lot of other areas that are also involved in terms of uh, when it talks about land and different other sectors that, of course, you find uh, sectors like mining and energy uh, that probably require a lot of land that uh, forces or interferes with the forests. To what extent is integrating uh, forest protection and, and land uh, for different other sectors important for uh, achieving success? Ah, this is a, a crucial point. We cannot talk about forests in a silo. The forests uh, happen <laughs> in areas that have other competing uh, interests, as you will mention. And in the case of Africa, of course, agriculture is an important one. And maybe I can share a couple of examples the, from FIP investments that are under implementation. In, in, in Africa, we are uh, operating in six different countries, uh, in Burkina Faso, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in Congo Republic, Ivory Coast, Mozambique and Ghana. Mm -hmm. And I'll mention a couple of examples. Uh, in Burkina Faso, the FIP funding was really catalytic in supporting the development of the country's red strategy and in positioning the landscape approach, which is what we are discussing now, not looking only at forests, but more well, in a multi-sectoral perspective. Uh, as an integral part of the government's rural development agenda, the FIP support uh, that includes uh, $40 million is helping to create a coordinated RedPass strategy that is piloting these innovative approaches to limiting deforestation and forest degradation. For example, before the FIP, the Ministry of Environment in Burkina would only manage classified forests under its direct responsibility, but now the government is designing policies to address all forested areas as an integral part of the rural landscape and is engaging multiple actors with a stronger focus on land use planning for, for the first time. For us, um, successful FIP projects are, are not only good for climate and environment, but to ensure their sustainability. Uh, I think we must also provide benefits uh, for the people. Mm -hmm. And we, in this case of, of uh, Burkina Faso, we undertook an impact evaluation of one of the projects implemented by the African Development Bank. And the results of, of this evaluation clearly show that 
people that participated in the payment for environmental services scheme for reforestation that was set up by the project experienced less food insecurity. Uh, six months after receiving the payment, for example, the households reported a reduction in moderate food insecurity by 35% and a reduction in severe food insecurities by 60% in comparison to the control group. This is significant that shows that you can have activities that tackle both <laughs> and, and uh, both climate and environment and uh, poverty and development at the same at the same time and that has to do a lot with the different drivers of the forestation that compete in the use of these lands mm. and in Ghana many mm. of the activities that are being piloted with uh, um, 75 million dollar funding from from the FIP have the potential for example to be scaled up at the national level and these include a tree tenure system that provides farmers with the opportunity um, to benefit economically from the trees in their land, mm -hmm. uh, promoting shade-grown cocoa that increases production yields and at the same time increases forest covers, mm -hmm. um, strengthening participation of local communities in managing their natural resources through a creation of community resource management areas and also restoration of land uh, that has been degraded by, by mining activities. Mm -hmm. uh, another example in Mozambique, um, the $28.5 million in financing focuses on integrated landscape management programs, activities that can contribute directly to the country's reckless strategy that include promoting systematic uh, community land delimitation and individual titling that is gender responsive, for example, or establishing agroforest resistance schemes and also piloting a performance-based scheme for the promotion of, of planted forests by small and, and medium landholders and, and local communities. So as you see these examples, uh, I am not discussing 100% only forest-related activities that it's important to really see that that the main issue here is is a cause of, of the drivers of the forestation that that we need to take into account. Absolutely. And I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking it um, forest protection covers uh, a wide array of uh, sectors, basically. And one of the things that you find in many African countries is, is that you find the policies are not harmonized. You say, for example, in the agriculture department, forest department and um, um, the energy department, it does this project work with governments to uh, ensure that there is harmonization of, of policies to ensure that different sectors work in tandem with each other. I think this is the the main challenge that that we have, and how we really tackle this is well. First, we have to be realistic that we are discussing problems that are very complex mm -hmm. and difficult. So, mm -hmm. uh, how we tackle this is really through the nature of how the CIF business model operates, which is, I think, unique among the climate funds. We use a country-led programmatic approach. So instead of providing funding on a project-by-project -project basis, mm -hmm. the countries that participate in the FIP were provided with $250,000 to develop an investment plan 
that aligns with the national programs and, and the ambitions on sustainable development and climate change. So this is the opportunity for countries to really uh, decide how they're going to be tackling these uh, main uh, drivers of deforestation and degradation. And this uh, is a process that's a very highly participatory process where we expect countries to not only be working with the, let's say, Ministry of Forestry or Ministry of Environment, but we want this, this to be an opportunity for all relevant ministries to come together and see mm -hmm. this issue uh, in, a, in a more coordinated manner. And another issue that's important for in terms of, of how we work uh, is that we have a, a consideration of transformational change at the, at the design phase. So these issues of drivers of deforestation, barriers, need to be considered from the start. Yeah. It also, another issue that makes a difference, I think, is that we provide large scale, flexible and, and predictable funding. And this really makes it possible to develop often a first of a kind projects that take into account the, the changing conditions in the countries and, and markets. So flexibility mm -hmm. is also important. Yeah. And another characteristic that's important is that we uh, deliver our financing through the multiple uh, coordinator, uh, coordinated um, multilateral development banks, uh, which work together to support this implementation of the investment packaging. So being able to leverage co-finance and uh, engaging other other uh, stakeholders like private sector, for example, is is very key for us to achieve uh, an impact in, in the long term. Yeah, I'm wondering in terms of commercial forests and um, the role they play. And I think one of the things that I've seen with commercial tree uh, plantations is the species that you find uh, in most cases that will be, uh, will be planted. For example, eucalyptus that sometimes um, are planted in the wrong areas, especially in the water, ends up being a problem, especially in terms of the water. And we know with the climate change, um, it's projected that just depending on, 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 on a country, the level of water that will be available for the future climate will impact uh, the water availability. What role does commercial forest played in implementing this particular project? Well, we uh, recently funded a, a study with the African Development Bank uh, that they mm -hmm. were exploring actually this issue of what's the, the potential that uh, forest plantations can play in the African continent. And mm -hmm. uh, they, they found that there clearly is a, a very big potential for, for that development in the continent, but mm -hmm. the barriers are, are still quite, uh, quite serious. I already mentioned that, for example, land tenure is an issue uh, with the red plus uh, with red plus issues, and it's also a very important issue to consider in terms of of plantations. Yeah. And us as a climate fund, we are definitely uh, interested in uh, plantations that not only provide these uh, uh, economic livelihoods, but we need to make sure that we are funding what we call triple wins. So yes, plantations can be good in, maybe in the short or longer term for, for the company, but if, like you mentioned, if they do a plantation of, of eucalyptus in an area that it's, uh, doesn't have the necessary or the adequate uh, 
amounts of, of, of uh, water or, or other resources, it can in the long term have a very negative <clears throat> impact in the area. So for us, it is it is crucial that that all investments related to plantations need to take into account not only environmental conditions, but that they also uh, work to ensure that there's a equitable um, let's say benefits for local communities. Uh, for us, this is a, a crucial part uh, that needs to be uh, considered when discussing the issue of plantations. Well, really not only in Africa, but, but at a global level. Ines, your final words. In relation to the, to the FIP, uh, one thing that I think it's worth mentioning is the forward-thinking decision made at the start of a FIP back in 2010 to not only focus on tropical forests because many times when we're discussing climate change and, and forestry people mm. directly just talk about tropical forests but mm. we also support countries with other forest types and in the case of africa this includes dry forest in burkina faso and, and savanna ecosystems in in mozambique for example mm. Mm. and another innovation that I really wanted to highlight is the dedicated grant mechanism or DGM, mm -hmm. which is a one-of-a-kind program that was designed and led by representatives of the indigenous peoples groups and local communities in the fifth countries. Mm -hmm. This, uh, the DGM was approved in, uh, in 2011 and is a standalone $80 million funding window that provides the indigenous peoples and local communities with, with direct access to international climate funding. Mm -hmm. uh, this is really innovative. And for example, the DGM is supporting the establishment of non-timber forest product enterprises for indigenous peoples, the participation in land tenure reform, management of conservation areas, and for example, funding for and local tree planting initiatives. And, to me, most importantly, it has already achieved substantial results in almost um, 168,000 hectares and has already benefited more than 238,000 people so far. Initiatives like this really need to be scaled up. Yeah. And the final point I want to make is that the CIF or, or PEP, it has a strong focus on learning by doing and we have more than 10 years of experience and lessons learned that have helped us in uh, to develop new programs for which we are currently trying to raise resources for. Yeah. One of them is the, the Nature, People and Climate Investment Program that will allow us to continue to pilot innovative projects related to landscape level, natural resource management and to nature-based solutions. And I think it's precisely at this time that investing in, in nature can truly help the African countries to sustainably recover from the pandemic and at the same time promote sustainable rural development that can benefit uh, the most vulnerable populations that depend on natural resources for their, for their livelihoods. Absolutely, especially given the COVID-19 pandemic. Exactly. The, the link between uh, COVID-19 is it's very clear, not only because of the origin, but because of the impact that it's having on the most vulnerable populations. And we need to uh, take advantage of this situation, really to rethink of how we are thinking of, of developing and how we want our future to be. And 
in the case of Africa, uh, natural resource management and, and nature in general really needs to be taken uh, as a priority. Mm. And that is the future FIP is actually thinking of moving forward, right? Exactly. Not right. just focusing on forests, but more on, uh, on nature and nature-based solutions in, in general. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ines. No, thank you, Sophie. That was Ines Angulo, the Forest Investments Program Coordinator at the Climate Investment Fund. Now, in Ghana, the Global Forest Watch indicates that Ghana's forest once covered a third of its 24 million hectares landmass. But in 2020, the country lost 136,000 hectares of natural forest, equivalent to over 30 million tons of CO2 emissions. The Forest Investment Program has been funding a forest investment program in Ghana, working with the local communities and stakeholders to reduce deforestation while ensuring forest-dependent communities benefits from the natural resource. Valerie Fami Nazar, the manager for the Plantations Unit at the Forestry Commission of Ghana, tells us more about the project achievements and lessons learned. The Ghana Investment Plan was approved in November 2012, and that secured Ghana a total funding of $50 million. The investment plan had three main projects, which was disbursed through the African Development Bank, the World Bank, and the International Finance Corporation. So we have three projects running and the African Development Bank project that we are talking about today is one of them. We received $10 million for the African Development Bank project, which we termed the engaging local communities in red plus and also in enhancing carbon stocks. And we, so when I make reference to ELSA plus, it is a project two of the forest investment program in Ghana. So we received 10 million from SIF. And then the African Development Bank also added a grant of $5 million. It was supposed to end in 2019, December 2019. So we received okay. one year extension. Mm -hmm. And the, the project just ended in December 2020. So ELSA Plus had the main objective to increase carbon stocks and poverty, poverty reduction in the off-reserve areas of the high forest zone of the country. And we had to do that by engaging communities in land management approaches that generate direct financial and environmental benefits to all stakeholders. The main four main components of the project were the community restoration of degraded areas, mm -hmm. where we were looking at small to medium scale community members, farmers, tree growers who were interested in restoration of the degraded areas in off-reserve. Mm -hmm. And then the component two was a promoting sustainable cocoa and agroforestry systems that are climate smart mm -hmm. and environmentally responsible mm -hmm. agroforestry techniques. And then the third component was the community alternative livelihoods and capacity building. Mm -hmm. uh, Project was off-reserve. In Ghana, we have the on-reserve. We have about 18% of the entire country which constitute the forest reserves and the national parks. And the remainder is the off-reserve areas, which are owned and managed by individuals, chiefs, stores, communities. So at the end of the project in December 2020, the major output included about 38,000 hectares for forest plantations established across the landscape 
that's reducing pressure on the forest ecosystem. And then we have the trees density also increased about 26,000 hectares of cocoa and agricultural farms. And then we also have approximately a thousand farmers who have been supported to engage in forest-based enterprises like soap making using cocoa hags. Some have done, uh, some now have mushroom that they are rearing, beekeeping, and then community tree nurseries where the communities produce the tree siblings and then they sell and they plant some, they sell some, and all these are to help to reduce poverty in the forest fringe communities across the landscape. All right. How many in terms of the communities have benefited, local communities? When we look at the communities in the off-reserve areas, we have approximately 40 districts. And then we have 12,000 beneficiaries across the 40 districts within the Brown Half and the Western region. Mm. And we have dealt with them in community groups. So you might have one community that have one group doing livelihoods, one group doing tree registration, and then uh, tree planting, and then the other groups uh, involved in woodlot establishments, some in tree plantations. Mm -hmm. So approximately 12,000 beneficiaries from more than 50 communities. When you're working with local communities, you find also like in terms of forest in, within countries, is that there is a huge percentage of it that is actually community-owned or within people's farms. How have you worked with the communities in terms of encouraging them to plant more trees within their farms? Have you planted different kind of species like fruit trees to ensure that they can see the benefits basically of planting more trees on their farms? Thank you very much. Uh, one of the unique things we have done under this project has been to work with Ghana Cocoa Board and also Ministry of Food and Agriculture, mainly the frontline staff at the district and the regions, because we are all working in the same landscape. Farmers have a number of options mm -hmm. to put their land to, and planting trees in people's own land does not come easy because of the long term mm -hmm. of, the, of the trees. Mm -hmm. So um, Cocoa Research Institutes have indicated some trees that are good for the cocoa systems. Mm -hmm. that are good. So there are a list of species, indigenous species that have been uh, planted across the landscape. In some areas, it has been the, in agricultural farms, there have been um, species other than timber trees, where they have been supported to improve their productivity for their maize, for their cereals, and uh, not so much of fruit trees. Mm. But whatever vegetables and food crops that they are involved in, they have received support from Crops Research Institute and Soil Research Institute under this project to improve the farming systems and to enhance soil carbon in their farms. Mm. So it has been both the trees, indigenous trees planted in the farming systems. And then some will have cereals who just do the trees to do their boundary planting. Mm -hmm. Some will have a few of the species that they would like to use the back for medicine or something mm -hmm. that they will plant in their farms. But then it has been mainly the promotion of tree species in the in the farms. Mm -hmm. One major challenge has been the incentives, like you rightly said, there are so many juicy incentives for people to plant cashew. Mm -hmm and rubber and other things in the landscape. So mm. we had uh, a tough time trying to sensitize the communities 
and ensuring that they understand the short and medium term impact of the trees they are planting besides mm-hmm. that they are able to choose between either they do the cashew they do the eraba or they do the forest trees and one unique thing once again that we also did here was a modified tonja system with the forestry commission is working on where the communities for the first three or four years until the canopy closes they are able to plant their food crops among the trees so they harvest their food crops for the first four years so they have short-term income for that and then they when the canopy is closed they maintain and wait so maturity which is sometimes 10 years 12 years and the project supported them with beehives and the other livelihoods that i mentioned and the mushrooms such yeah. that they are able to have inter like medium term benefits whilst they wait for the trees to mature and the good thing is when the trees mature under the modified tonja system the, they have a 40% share in the trees the forestry commission also have 40% share mm-hmm. entire community have 5% of social responsibility mm-hmm. the landowners also have 15% share mm-hmm. of the value of the tree the project came to an end in 2020 right yes december last year yes. december last year so what is the plan for maybe phase two or maybe scaling up uh, the project elsewhere yes a number of interventions were implemented and i'll just quickly run you through it then when i talk about those that we are scaling up we have um model plantations that have been established as demonstration plots across the regions where people can go and learn about it. Mm-hmm. We have the modified Sanja plots that we spoke about. Mm-hmm. And then we have the wood lots for charcoal production, mm-hmm. where communities who engage in charcoal production have been supported to establish their own wood lots. Mm-hmm. And they have been supported with uh, efficient kilns where they can maximize the use from the wood. Mm-hmm. And then we have done intensive wildfire sensitization and education because that is one of the major threats of deforestation in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the communities were supported to prepare community wildfire plants, mm-hmm. very simplified plants that they are able to work with the district assemblies where they know that whenever there is a, a trigger, uh, the chain of custody, how they are going to sure that they reduce fire and so far since the project started we have not eliminated eliminated it totally but wildfires have reduced mm-hmm. with the, the fire service the forestry commission moved for cocoa board and we have trained fire volunteer squads in all the regions we had them already but they have been reactivated and their capacity built and they have been given with the support of the project given equipment for fire suppression and all that Yeah. So it has reduced and we are hoping that it will be sustained. Mm. And then um, the Climate Smart Agricultural Lands, where people, farmers have, cocoa farmers have incorporated trees in their farms. And then there were some unique sacred groups. Sacred groups are patches of forest in the off-reserve areas, which are managed, managed by the communities and their traditional authorities. Mm-hmm. And the project has supported 10 of them to write management plans for these communities. So, um, although originally they were using taboos, now they are going to be supported with the guidelines to be able to these so that we avoid deforestation in 
these patches of forest that are still left. So then when we come to the scaling up, first of all, the modified tundra system, which has already been implemented across the country. Some pilots and some work has been done by the Forestry Commission already. There mm -hmm. was a break, but then the project has reactivated the importance and the need for the communities as well as the Forestry Commission because we work as partners with the communities to rehabilitate our already degraded forests. Mm -hmm. So that is going to continue for a long time to come. And it is in our national plantation strategy. It's one of the strategies for landscape restoration that we have adopted so mm. it's going to go on and then the woodlots for sustainable harvest of fuel wood and charcoal production mm -hmm. is also one of the things that um, is going to be sustained mm. because we whether the trees that are, are no more there like they used to be in the past because of degradation and deforestation. So mm -hmm. if you are into charcoal production or for sales, now you have the techniques and the know-how to establish mm -hmm. your own woodlot where you can rely on. So uh, we are rehabilitating the, the land, but also we have these species, which copies, they harvest and then it coppices back. So. Mm -hmm. It's like the sustained use of the, the tree species for woodlots. Mm -hmm. And then the shade love and cocoa and the soil carbon enhancement technologies. Like I said, we worked with the Soil Research Institute, Crops Research Institute of Ghana, Cocoa Board and MOFA. And because these institutions are already in place, these things are going to be adopted in the annual plans. Then they are going to train more people. And then now the farmers, who have seen the outcome, especially those in the agricultural farms where the productivity has slightly increased. They know that when they continue to get better yields and then other farmers are learning from them through cross farm visits and other things to ensure that these systems are sustained. Mm. And then the, the livelihoods have also caught on very well with the farmers because they are using the local products in their communities to produce these um, the soap from the cocoa husk and then the beehives they are producing bee, uh, honey and then the mushroom things they use daily they will go to the forest and harvest the honey but now you have a hive and and that is really catching on we are at the point where they will have to be properly mobilized and supported so that they can increase their value chain, process it appropriately, so that they can get a niche market for the product that they are distributing. Mm. So these are a few of the things that can be seen. And with the with the wildfire thing now, with the guide, the simplified community guides, and the fire volunteer squads reactivated, mm -hmm. they are going to uh, be sustained in the desperate time in the community. Valerie, what's the lesson learned? Yes, no way. One of our major drivers was the wildlife wildfire. What the extensive wildfire campaigns and the formation of the fire volunteer squads and all that have really gingered the communities, all the stakeholders, the fire service at the district level. So the lessons we have learned there is that to be able to avoid deforestation, we'll have to sustain 
activities of these groups and to ensure that they will be able to prevent wildfires. Otherwise, all the gains have been made under the project will not be consolidated. And so we have efforts put in place now and it is our responsibility to sustain. To what extent has uh, forest fires been threatening uh, forests within Ghana? Yes, every year we have, you know, the deforestation rate of the country is about 3.2 per year. 35% of that can be attributed to wildfire. Reduction in the space at which farmers clear forests to establish their, their new farms. Mm -hmm. have also been curtailed a bit because we have increased productivity per hectare. Mm -hmm. So hopefully instead of every year moving to a new site, doing the slash and burn and all that will be curtailed, not entirely, but reduced in a way that we will be able to um, make more gains mm -hmm. in the office every year. One of the major lessons to have been the bridging the, the gap between policy uh, practice and research. We were able to do that under this project mm -hmm. where the researchers brought in their technologies, the farmers were there willing to adapt and learn. Mm -hmm. Then the various institutes, the Cocoa Board, MUFA, all the frontline staff were engaged. So we have built capacity of these, all of us to be able to apply technologies that have been researched into and have been proven to help in reducing deforestation and degradation. All right, Valerie, we have to leave it there, um, but I appreciate you taking time to take us through the FIP project in Ghana. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. It was my uh, pleasure. That was Valerie Faminaza, the manager for the Plantations Unit at the Forestry Commission of Ghana, telling us more about the Forest Investment Funding Project in Ghana. Remember, the Financing Change in Africa series is made possible by a collaboration with the African Development Bank, the Climate Investment Funds, and the Africa Climate Conversations. Talk to us via info at africaclimateconversations.com. But until next week on Tuesday, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Bogwa. <music>